help if I turn on the mic. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd, your trusted advisor, all things advocate of small business and lover of... My listeners, really, of all people. <laughs> We've got a very special guest on the show today and I'm super excited to be welcoming Alan McDougall from Key Point Law because we're going to talk about something that's really quite crucial. It's not even, it's beyond important. It's actually quite crucial if you're running a business. It's especially crucial if you're serious about running a business and you want to look at your longevity um, and long-term ability to be sustainable as well. There's, uh, there's an important factor which a lot of small businesses don't consider when they start and usually they fumble around midway through their progression and realise that they need them, and that is contracts. So Alan is a, a specialist in contract law and he's going to assist us with helping to understand where you need to put them in place. When do you engage with a contract, whether it be a supplier, a client, um, it might be an employee, it might be buying or selling a business. When is it really important that you have them and why is it there and why do they protect you in particular from um, adverse reactions or perhaps um, just protecting you and giving you some peace of mind if nothing untoward was to happen. So we're talking about those today. We're talking about the importance of having them in place to begin with, but also maybe ways that you can put them in place after you've had a negative impact on your business. So welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you very much for coming today. Morning, Alexi. It's nice to be here. Now, tell me a little bit about um, Key Point Law. Why is it that you decided to specialise or, or look more at contract law? What, what makes you passionate about helping small business? Well, I, I, I like to fight the good fight, I guess, is the short answer. Uh, Alexi, more and more I, I see uh, business people struggling uh, uh, to, to find their way in the morass, uh, the thicket of regulation and laws, mm -hmm. and, and, and often un, unsatisfactory by behaviour by, by big companies, by, by other uh, businesses their size. It, it just, uh, I like to help set the ground rules and, and make sure the ground rules in, are in place. And because that helps to protect a business for the future, it helps to to, um, it almost it almost looks makes you look more professional, doesn't it, when you've got these sort of things in place? Absolutely right. I, I think it uh, it's a bad look if your uh, business contracts, terms and conditions are a bit uh, well non-existent even, or mm. a bit uh, a bit out of date, a bit fusty. Uh, we 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 lawyers speak a lot of plain English these days. You'll be pleased to hear, <laughs> and uh, th that plain English is more and more reflected in uh, in the contracts we write and, and the contracts we advise you on. It used to be that if you engage with a, a company that was any bigger than yours, they would sort of slap down this huge supplier agreement that was 30 or 40 pages long and expect you to sign it immediately. That's that's not the case these days. Well, that's a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because in recent times there have been uh, so-called unfair contract laws brought in business mm. to business. If you're a small business, you've got more protection than ever, particularly in the realms of standard form contracts. The big guys are on notice uh, as of 12th of November last year. So uh, you've got uh, you, your small business listeners have a bit of um, bit of ammunition on their side now. It, it's not all one way, and and, and uh, all consumers, of course, have been protected by this kind of law for for a lot longer. Uh, but now small business is in the mix, and um, there are def definitions of what. They that is and what that isn't. But really, any business contract now, you've got to be careful. Uh, both sides have got to be mindful that, uh, that one, one cannot have it all his or her own way. And it's quite interesting the way you say that those that massive juggernaut of 
paperwork that we used to get plonked on us. It doesn't exist. It doesn't not exist anymore. But that is that part of pressurising system that big business used to put on small business. Well, yeah. It's look. It's uh, multifaceted. I'm always appalled at the amount of paperwork uh, that uh, is dumped on business, whether from bigger uh, organisations or even um, uh, smaller smaller groups, smaller businesses. It's a sign of the times, and I don't support it. I'm for simplicity. I'm. Uh, I know we get paid for for analysing complexity. We lawyers and dealing with it but uh, wherever possible I'm for some simplicity however regulation is pervasive government regulations tax more than ever company laws it's not just about uh, we lawyers getting uh, shifty or big uh, big uh, guys trying to um, uh, do you over mm. it's uh, unfortunately the, um, the the world we live in yeah we have to make sure that we understand what we're talking about because we we are existing and we're doing business in this world, we have to face the facts and we have to be prepared for it and understand what, what we're stepping into. I think so. A forewarned is forearmed. You, you know, you've got uh, the, uh, your earlier point. I, I think business people, uh, small, medium business, should have a standard set of T's and C's, as we say, terms and conditions in place. And it, it doesn't take too much effort and it's a one-off expense, really. Um, and you're, you, you're good to go. And you just need to have that protection and, and uh, uh, you know, to get your product out there, get your service out there and and know where you stand. I think one of the things that we become quite overwhelmed with in, in the legal world of small businesses, A, we, we don't wear that hat, we don't understand it, we kind of have a, a broad idea of what we should protect ourselves against and we understand about insurances and how they play a yeah, role in protecting yeah. us. But um, I think what I find overwhelming is the fact that I think, oh, I've got to have okay, I've got to have a contract with my clients and I've got to have a contract with my suppliers and then I've got to have a contract for these guys and these guys and these guys. Is that just a state of overwhelm is just unrealistic? If you actually engage with someone like yourselves, then it doesn't need to be that complex? It, it, well, I'd, I'd like to say yes, it doesn't need to be that complex. Um, uh, look, you, you, you can cut the cloth to suit the wearer, really. Uh, it, it depends on what your needs are, what your, uh, what your resources are. Uh, uh, look, often you're going to have to sign contracts from others, from bigger, uh, bigger suppliers. They, you know, it's a, a fact of life or, or a big client group even. If you provide professional services, you might be a small, uh, a, a, a small contractor or advisor and you get a big corporate client and they have a standard form. And, and you, you've got to run with that and accept it. It mm. needn't be horrendous. It needn't be a, a ghastly experience. But if you want to deliver your service or your product, it does help to have someone have a quick look over that kind of thing. Mm. And you able to, uh, the reality of things I think is when you are engaging with a big client like that, of course you're going to sign basically whatever they <clears throat> whatever they put in front of you. Basically, yeah. But can you in the real world, can you, do you see people countering that with um, an, a contract of their own or do you think realistically that doesn't really happen? It doesn't really happen. Um, uh, you just have to make sure that what you're signing is not. You understand you what you're getting into. Mm. That's right. Um, and and as I said earlier, there are more protections than ever these days. Uh, you can't get screwed. Uh, I don't believe if you if you go in with your eyes wide open and do read your contracts or do if you don't have someone read it for you. Make sure you read it yourself. So I'm ever always surprised how people do not do that. Mm. And and it's a simple protection of something puzzles you. Ask. Do your homework. They probably can't answer it there end either. They'd have to go back to their legal team. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They might not understand it either. Yeah. That's right. <laughs>
One of the one of those big things that are in contracts that I think come from clients that can be really big and scary is um, is the end of the month plus two months or plus three months for payment terms. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge problem. We, we want those clients, we want those big boys, but we don't want to have to have the um, outgoings in the beginning. Say, for example, let's take um, a, a video production company. You've got to do a shoot, you've got to do a multi-camera shoot. It's probably going to cost you about 10 grand in outgoings. You're getting paid 20 grand for the, for the shoot no, itself, no. but you're not going to get that money for three months. No. So if you sign that away with their contract because they go, well, tough titties, that's basically what our payment terms are, um, have you got any flexibility there if you've got outgoings? I mean, is, is it, can you basically sign one of those contracts in the real world and then go, listen, guys, um, you know, I've got 10,000 of outgoings or I've got X amount of outgoings. I need you to pay a deposit. Is there any flexibility with those big boys? Well, well, that, well that's a good point. And, and if, uh, I, I, I think you can always ask. You should ask. And maybe there is that flexibility. Uh, that's a, a big issue uh, politically too with uh, very big uh, customers uh, leaving, uh, leaving payment for months and months. And the smaller supplier uh, uh, has to wait. And uh, so the first thing to do is know, know what you're signing up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even uh, and, and when you see the contract, ask the question. Mm-hmm. And then you have to adjust your commercial realities accordingly. Well, I really want this client, this customer. This is how it's going to be. I, I hate it. If you, that's the important thing, knowing what you're signing up to. With all of your experience dealing with contractual law, do you think that um, a change a change to the government is needed. I mean, I know in France they've accelerated their economy by making all invoice terms um, a compulsory two-week turnaround. Mm. Now, mm. the government here, federal and state level, have both turned around and said, oh, well, we're the biggest uh, mover and shaker in the economy, so we're going to guarantee to pay everyone within 30 days, which they've promised to do. Um, but they're trying to lead from the front. Yeah. Is it really that difficult in terms of legislation and the impact it would have on, on yourselves and, and the contract lawyers to make that two-week turnaround. I mean, I, I really, I, I don't, I, to me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. If a country like France can do it and several other European countries, just do it. Just say that it's compulsory two-week turnaround and then people start paying interest. Would that not accelerate the economy? I mean, is there something not well, working? it would get the, get the money circulating faster. But is there anything I from agree. your perspective from, um, f- as, a, as a legal look, person? Uh, I, I touched on unfair contract laws earlier. It, it, that, uh, they do not specifically deal with that very real issue. Um, uh, the European countries you mentioned have a different, more intrusive legal system than traditionally True. we uh, Anglos do. We, we start out from freedom of contract, so-called, and uh, we're getting a little less free for probably for good reason in, in instances you mentioned there. At the moment, uh, there's, not, uh, there's nothing that uh, obliges people to pay on time. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we do. But we do. As small businesses, yeah, we yeah. do because we don't want to stuff up the little guys. Well, we, we, we value our business reputation. We mm. want repeat business uh, for big suppliers, big groups. They often think they'll get it anyway. If if they have competitors, that might sharpen their response times. But um, at the moment, we don't... It is in the press. I've seen, what, seen it, what you're referring to, but we don't have it. It's a little unusual for our kind of contractual environment, but that's not to say something won't be done.
Yeah, that would in 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 the perfect world. That'd yeah. be awesome. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the sort of contracts um, you should think about, consider having in place, and what what you can do to prepare to put those things into place as a business. So you've come to someone like Keypoint Law. You want to engage with them. You want to say, okay, all right, I'm, I'm I need to get these things in place. Let's have a look at um, you dealing with a contractor. So you're a small business. You bring someone on board to provide you with a particular job. Um, for a, a project or something like that and you want to engage with them as a contractor what would you expect to exchange and what information needs to be absolutely definitely there in the contract yeah. oh, okay well look you should have a contractor's agreement uh, that is a fairly typical form of contract now it's different from an employment agreement where you have staff full-time or part-time permanently working for you mm -hmm. i think you're getting at a contractor who has one or more clients uh, and to be a genuine contractor, you, you most likely you will have more than one client. Yes, that's right. I mean, yeah, um, it's definitely not someone we're talking about. An employee. Yeah, but look, that uh, that's not a big ask in in terms of a, a legal uh, output and in terms of cost. That that uh, um, a small business could not have a standard form contractors agreement. They're pretty common, and um, uh, yeah, you should have one in your bottom drawer if you you're bringing on people like that. And quick question, <clears throat> legally, all these contracts, they can be signed electronically and they're still considered legal or do they need wet ink? Uh, qu qu quick answer, yes, they can be signed electronically. That's good. That's good news. <laughs> Try and reduce the amount more, of paperwork. More than ever. Yeah. Digital signature. More than ever. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 signing a contract goes to proof. Um, if you want to get paid, you've got to prove there was a bargain or contract in existence and... and um, it's it, the more and more these days. It's hard to disown a digital signature mm. uh, or, or some sort of substantiation or an email trail. Exactly mm. right. Yeah, it's proof. Ultimately, it's proof, and uh, you you want to be comfortable that the other person's bound, and 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 that's not that difficult if you have that paper trail and or and or a, a docu signature or something like that. Yeah, I know. I know. With my if you anybody out there who owns a, a Mac, for instance, you can take a photo of your signature and permanently add it to your yeah. preview program and then you yeah. can just cut yeah, and paste yeah, it into yeah. that. Well, well, and we do that at Keypoint Law too, uh, that we sign our engagement letters in the, in the same vein. Um, yeah, I haven't uh, scro scrawled in pen and ink for as long as uh, <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> it's very digital native of you. Yes, well, we're very uh, uh, proactive at Keypoint Law. We, we, we uh, have lots of innovations where we say we're a disruptive firm and, and uh, we, we, we feel we offer a bit more than the traditional law firm. Well, the fact that you're talking about the 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 um the, uh, the notion that we shouldn't be having to spend too much money on these things and um that's definitely disruptive from a legal standpoint well, well yes i, I well I, well yes that's right <laughs> now <laughs> no we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here on triple h and um listen to some community service announcements we'll be back after this you're listening to small biz matters so, Alan, today we are talking about uh, contract law and it's something that, you know, once you put the word law in a sentence can come a bit, become a bit big and scary for small business, I think. And, and uh, what we like to do is, um, is try and educate our listeners here on small biz matters. So just before the break, we were talking a little bit about engaging with contractors it's a bit of a must. A lot of us already have those contracts in place. Um, one of the things I think in the contracts that you have with external people needs to be a bit of confidentiality, would you agree? Do you think that's a really important aspect of... Because they've got to find out a lot about yeah. your business, aren't they? Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and we can build that into... Um 
to a contractor's agreement or, or any uh, contract or relationship, um, uh, I just say confidentiality is hard to sue over, actually. Mm. Not impossible, but um, uh, it's always a question of proof. What damage did you suffer? And, and uh, But look, don't be scared off by uh, bolting in a, a appropriate term and condition in that regard. It, 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 it's better to have something than nothing. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, you... You can't. You, you have to trust people uh, uh, f- uh, to some extent, and mm. we can't. Um, we we can't protect against um, uh, uh, tr- uh, not trustworthy people. That's what we can do our best, but not totally. You have to assess the person you're contracting with. Now, I've I've come across a couple of incidences in the last couple of months with my own clients who have engaged with a contractor. They've placed them into a, an external business on their behalf, and they're mm. they're sort of under operating under their business name mm-hmm. um, and they've ended up going directly to the client. Now, they had these, um, and this goes to what you were saying before about having not necessarily protections in place but a bit of trust in, in the exercise. Is there anything we can do to well, protect against that? Oh, well, yeah. Well, you're going one step further. Restraints certainly uh, can and can be uh, written into the agreement and, and they are enforceable uh, more so than, uh, say, misusing confidential information per se. Oh, yeah, now that's a very real uh, tool in the, in the legal uh, kit um, and, and uh, restraints... Uh, um, up to a point are, are, are a valid way of protecting, uh, uh, say, a, a, a client list being stolen or, or, or something like that. Or that, even that, going directly to the client well, and taking that, that work. Well, that, that is a risk. Yeah, and that is a risk. With a, It is a risk. We can do something for the client in that regard. We can't guarantee anything, but we can put put um, protections in place. And, and uh, if you can allege that your clients have been... Uh, uh, overridden and, and, and stolen, well, um, we we can do something for you. But messy, I uh, hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it still comes down to that trust exercise, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm just wondering what that process is. Once you've got those contracts in place, everyone's signed it, yep. and, and you end up having one of those people that does go directly to the client. Mm. Um, do you then issue them with a warning letter, a cease and desist letter, and then you um, threaten to take... How does What exactly yeah, yeah, is the yeah, process? Yeah, a, a very stern lawyer's letter. Mm. It, it sounds a bit uh, innocuous perhaps in the, these days but that's the opening uh, gambit and and if you can uh, uh, then uh, point to a, to a, sub- a substantial financial impact by by l- possibly losing a client or losing an engagement well that that's money that you can uh, quite possibly claim back from your errant contractor so I, I uh, in my experience I've found that a, a stiff uh, lawyers letter uh, and it's a serious one too uh, carries a lot of weight it has a desirable impact it b- brings people to the table uh, at least and um, if you that's where you want to meet them. So, um, uh, yeah, look, uh, I, I would get a, a get a forthwith get a, a lawyer involved. Frankly, talking my own book a bit, but mm. it, it comes uh, if it, it's a signal to the errant uh, contractor or player that you are uh, very serious. You're even, if not outraged, by what's going on. You're suffering loss potentially. The the, the other party doesn't know how much, and you want it stopped. Mm. Oh, so if, if in your experience it does have an impact, then it sounds like it's definitely worth at least engaging I, in that I step. Do. I do. Even if all you do is get us to write a letter mm. uh, and you take it, carry the ball from there uh, and, and, and uh, there's a negotiation or a, some sort of reconciliation, well, we've done, played our part. We've done our bit. We're in and out. Yeah.
Yeah, well, and that sounds like that sounds like a good solution. Now, a trickier scenario is having these sort of contracts with a supplier. Um, I don't see it happen very frequently where you come. It, it, can you give us an example of where someone might actually engage with a supplier and and uh, have a contract in place? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I yeah. Tra- uh, traditionally, the supplier uh, will have a contract for you. But um, it, it happens where you are bigger than the supplier, that it might be better if you provide the contract. Uh, this happens in complicated uh, or, or high-value products, but um, it is a conundrum when both, <laughs> both the customer and the supplier wish to assert a set of terms and conditions to govern the transaction. Um, <clears throat> generally, it's uh, the, the side with the greater leverage or size wins, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean the other party cannot negotiate. Um, and uh, so, yeah, look, we do see that, but but it's more the case where the, the supplier, and I'm thinking goods here, not so much services, oh, well, it might apply too. The supplier, the, the consultant is small, is a uh, is a way, is a single business person. Uh, the the customer might be, as I said earlier, a corporate or a big uh, uh, concern. It will have a contract for you, and that can be the way to go at times. Mm, and it's like particularly what you mentioned there with stock, I think that that's because you've got something that's quite tangible and has value to it. Yeah. You need to make sure that things are being delivered on time. Uh, that that what the that's, product, the quality of the product that they say they're going to deliver is adequate. Because you don't want to do things like lose your deposit. Exactly right. Mm. Yeah, it, 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 the contracts are good across time, whether the relationship doesn't end with a one-off. Um, delivery of goods, uh, delivery of stock over time. You want quality assurance. You want timeliness. Arrangements for payment. Uh, that, that's where really business contracts come in. Mm. Uh, uh, um, uh, high value or or over time. Uh, they're, they're the scenarios. And a quick a quick question for you. I used to work for a company. We used to deal with coffee cups, which is terribly uh, non-political. They have a very bad, uh, very bad look these days. We don't do it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but we used to deal with coffee cups, and we would engage with someone in China because that was the cheapest place to get them. And one time we had a, a literally a, a container full of trucks arrive, and there were about half a million cups in there every single one of them leaked and we literally lost uh, two-thirds of the cafes that we were servicing overnight because mm. of this this leaked batch. Now, when you're dealing with China, you have to pay up front. Um, and because it was a Chinese-based firm, they didn't have offices in Hong Kong, which apparently is a little bit easier to negotiate with. And because they uh, delivered the goods, uh, had already taken the money, they basically just walked away and said, well, tough. Um, so is it more difficult with suppliers to enforce that across country borders, as particularly with China? Because don't, they don't recognise um, our contractual law. Is that, is that where it sits? I can't quite remember. Well, yeah, it is more difficult and, and uh, it gets down to trust more than ever. Um, uh, that's an unfortunate uh, example you've given. Um, uh, we, we, there are always arrangements through the bank banking system to delay payment to uh, part pay. I, I think that was a payment issue there. You paid, they said pay up front. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd have done it differently uh, with a small order to test quali- product quality. Mm. But yeah, look, with international transactions um, and, and and the more remote they are from our legal system, the, the greater the risk you're taking. It is a commercial risk substantially. And I guess that's what you, that the, um, the other side to getting 
cheaper goods is that you have to deal with yeah, yeah, a less reliable quality, legal yeah. quality. And, and, and yeah, yeah, an unknown legal. So there's no enforcement basically, and that applies whether it's coffee cups or or, uh, or, or, or something more high end. You, 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 whether it's from China or another source in Asia, even even in a comparable jurisdiction like uh, North America or. Uh, uh, um, the UK, uh, I guess it would you'd have greater um, certainty of, of doing the deal you want, but um, when when the legal systems are different and you are a small customer in, in a yeah, you got to take someone world, to international court. <laughs> you wouldn't, it, it, you just wouldn't happen. No, and, and so that's that's an unfortunate example, but it it points up that internationally you you really have to feel each other out a bit uh, and get a sense for what's on offer and and what you're going to get and. Um, uh, look, I, I did a, a few years ago. I did uh, uh, garments being manufactured in Poland for distribution here in Australia. The contract uh, we, we, what did we do? We started out with our complicated Anglo uh, version of, of, of uh, uh, contracts, and they sort of threw up their hands and said, "Here's a very simple uh, Polish English translated Polish contract, but we'll we'll make it right for you." And they did. So uh, simple is best. Well, as you said. yeah, yeah, and a small order to start. Mm. So um, international transactions, uh, everyone's different. Uh, I, I can't, uh, can't give a hard and fast other than for a, a small business or any business to really understand your customer before you sign up. It's funny what you should say there about uh, a clothing manufacturer, particularly I had um, a guest on the show, Liberty Watson from Watson X Watson, who's a clothing manufacturer and boutique high-end fashion. Uh, she and her sister run the company they have done for seven years. They make everything here. And although she said it's it takes up a lot of her time because a, a shirt can be made in several locations around Sydney. She has to maybe transport the shirts to have the buttons or the cuffs or whatever it is. I'm not a sewer. You can hear that. <laughs> mm. uh, it's done across. And, and that t- takes time. But at the same time, it's a hell of a lot, lot, lot less time than jumping on an aeroplane every two weeks and, and going to Bangladesh or going to, yeah. to, to China to have those manufacturers checked. Um, and the quality that she's getting is much better. So it's almost... Um, speaking in terms of, of legal as well, it, there's another big plus for keeping it here and keeping the jobs here and keeping the contracts and the work and hopefully the manufacturing here because you know where you stand. Mm. Everybody's got the same legal system that, that we have to abide by mm. um, and if we're all using similarly worded contracts and they haven't got any um, English translation issues, then... Yeah. Um, it's it's a much better way to do business. I look, my my regular listeners will know. I'll get on my soapbox about offshoring any day. I'm I'm very passionate about it. I really believe we're we're, we're doing ourselves a great injustice here by by offshoring a lot of a lot of entry level positions, in particular mm, in the corporate world. Mm, mm. But it, it's something to be said for for small business. You have to consider the fact that you've got to you've got to go through the trust exercise more. You've got to go mm. through the quality assurance. The legals become more complex. The the the, the, the language barrier, the travel, all of that really adds up and is that worth the, the what the what you're going to save mm. in the long run is that really worth the effort f- for the difference of just literally picking up the phone and chatting to someone who's across the suburb well that's right and and uh, in your example if the if the uh, counterparties to the contract outsource their um, 
are put to overseas or remote locations, well, your risk is on your local counterparty. Mm. Uh, it, they take the risk on the externally sourced uh, products or inputs, and if there's a quality issue, they have to ad address it uh, on your behalf. Otherwise, and you have recourse because your counterparty is local. Mm. It helps. That's right. Uh, um, it's um, uh, it, it's. There's no one-size-fits-all answer, I guess I'd say. But it is it is worth noting that I think the extra the extra effort that goes into yeah, into putting yeah. pushing things overseas definitely. So we've talked about um, uh, how to engage with a contractor and certain things that you should be keeping an eye out for to make sure that they are in the contract. Whether it be um, as you mentioned, the confidentiality clause is more difficult to uphold, but it's worth having in there. But definitely a what's what is that clause called that I just a restraint restraint. That's it. Yeah, that's that's a must really because you don't want your contractor going directly to the client. I, th I think that's absolutely right. Right. Yeah. yeah, and not too hard to to um, to 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 uphold no, either. No, that's that's right. More so than any uh, pro uh, properly drawn up, of course. You'd uh, you'd need your lawyer to do that. Mm. But um, yeah, properly drawn up, it's uh, it's quite enforceable <clears throat> and quite appropriate. The next one I want to focus on really importantly, and this is something that is not only important because uh, it, it it gives you a little bit of legal protection <laughs> but also because it makes you look bigger it makes you look more professional and it makes you look as though you've been in business longer than potentially that you have and that's the contract that you have with your client so um irrespective of what it is that you do um let's talk about services because obviously mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. else is bound by mm -hmm. consumer law if they're purchasing products but i know that people are bound by consumer law as well when they're purchasing services but that's a bit more gray mm -hmm. what what should be in your client agreement is it as simple as having an engagement letter that covers all these things or does you it need to do. be a specific job yeah look um <clears throat> you, i think i'd have an engagement letter with a, a bolt-on set of standard terms so really what uh, what what you're your client is looking at is the engagement letter which might be fine-tuning the standard uh, standard set of terms that follow um, so that's a presentational issue, a formatting issue. I, the the arrangement, however you set it up, um, has to have things like uh, information on your obligations, um, uh, what your clients are, what you expect from your client over what period of time. Um, I, I think you want to both. Uh, you want to limit your risk or liability and protect your legal interests. Um, uh, it's hard to see you're being liable to a client uh, providing services to you, but um, it just sets out the ground rules. It, it's a little bit similar to uh, uh, providing products, uh, um, things, but um, uh, again, it, I, I've seen it where um, where 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 the um, the party, the client in this case, my client, had uh, quite a a detailed set of terms and conditions and an engagement letter almost uh, overwhelmingly in in detail. Um, did uh, it ever put anybody off signing it? Well, well, it did put off someone paying him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't work. <laughs> no, you can. It 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 it, it um, fell between two stools. But we got uh, we got uh, uh, repayment ultimately. We structured a, an arrangement, but uh, it it. it um, 
just because you have a lot of uh, terms and, and conditions and words in your agreement doesn't mean you're going to get paid. It, clarity is is the essence. And um, it was a little bit grey in a couple of places. And, and anyway, I said we should fix this up after the event. I'd never heard anything. But we did get payment. So, look, client... Client agreements for services can be as problematic as any. Uh, they need not be, but again, how do you measure quality? At times, it's it can be a bit challenging. How long's a piece of string kind of question? Uh, yeah, mm. we. Um, I, I've always suggested that a good place to start for people who are uh, consultants might be their professional association because quite often they have um, stack, stock standard engagement letters. That's true. Uh, as I suggested, I know for example the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers supplies my business with a an engagement letter which right. I can kind of tweak. But here's my question for you because I always get very nervous about changing anything to do with these you know, really solid contracts, how much am I stuffing it around if I t- change a few words here and there or add an extra clause? If I put it in, is it no longer a legal document because I'm oh, not a lawyer? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I can put your mind at rest on that. Um, no, you're free to add what you want. Uh, um, I, I, look, I don't think it, it's going to do too much damage, I, it get, uh, or any, uh, really. Um, uh, it. What, what I would do there is is make your... If you've got special requirements in terms of your engagement with this party, well, you could put that in the covering letter I mentioned a minute ago. Leave your standard terms, say, from the Bookkeeping Association untouched. Mm-hmm. But in your engagement with this uh, client, you could say, well, uh, here's my standard terms and conditions. Oh, and by the way, this is in a covering letter. What I, Another condition I want to add to our contract is that... Da, da, da. Ah, now that's a good idea. And that can be also written in the body of an email when you're sending... Well, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. The email could comprise an attachment of standard terms plus uh, the narration saying, and in addition, this is uh, something else I wanted to add to our agreement. If you agree, please uh, re- reply, please acknowledge and mm. return and we're underway. And yeah, your contract com- your agreement comprises the the uh, attached uh, standard terms plus whatever you put in the body of the email. Now, there's something I was really busting to ask you about, which is this mm. sentence that I hear about people adding into contracts, um, and I wanted to know if it, if it really is legal. It, it's something that says um, basically, if you continue this conversation or you continue this either email trail or you continue to engage with us on any level, that we will take that to mean that you accept our terms and conditions. That I've heard that these sentences get buried in the middle of contracts and it means yeah, that providing yeah. that people are still literally responding to an email, that you can take that yeah, yeah, as an acceptance. Bound. Yeah, yeah. What's your thinking um, on that? Because that, that sort of makes me think, well, you could put anything into a contract and they won't read it and they're not signing anything, is that still considered um, legal because you've continued the arrangement or the discussion? Well, well the discussion is negotiation. It doesn't mean you're bound. So, um, uh, look, uh, it's... it's um, you're engaging with them to set the framework of a, an agreement. I, I don't see how they could say that, uh, if uh, that you're thereby bound to take to take their services or or their uh, or may place a product order. I, I I would argue that's negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, though, uh, we as lawyers in our standard engagement letters that we the law society requires us to send to clients and such as small business, we say you can uh, formally acknowledge this letter 
uh, or you can simply continue to instruct us. And, and that's a kind of a echoes what you're saying then. And, and people, so people have the option of just uh, continuing to instruct. And, and well, that, that's more clear cut, I think, than, um, than, than the scenario you were sketching. So it's so, a little bit about the wording of that sentence, do you think? Well, um, what's in what's well in, in that if you continue to instruct us you're bound by the terms and conditions of well, that well yeah we, we say well if you continue to instruct us we take it that you've accepted our terms of engagement it's a little bit more a softer uh, than that yeah and i think it, the concern is people just don't bother to a read it and b sign it and return yeah, the documents yeah that's true and they're often busy and they want to get on with their own business too and uh, but but steering away from what we as lawyers do, I, I in the scenario, uh, I, I think it's a little bit duplicitous in the scenario you were sketching for someone to be saying, well, this endless email exchange means you've engaged with us, that ultimately you're going to uh, place an order or accept our services and uh, whether or not uh, we have a, a formal sign-off. If that's the scenario you're sketching, then I'd say that's not right. Mm. Well, we're going to take another quick break here on Small Biz Matters. We're having a fantastic talk with Alan McDougall from Keypoint Law. He's telling us all about contracts and why they are so important for you to have in your business. Uh, keep listening to get more expert advice here on Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after these short announcements. And welcome back to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. That was a very teeny-weeny little community service announcement. You're listening here live to Small Biz Matters, um, and we're talking today all about contracts and the importance of having those as a small business. Now, you might have just started, you might just be a little, um, maybe a little boutique-y thing, maybe you're just having a market stall, you might just be considering this a bit of a hobby. Now, Alan, when is a really good time to start putting out those contracts out there when because a lot of the times we have that transitional period between oh I'm just dabbling or uh, I'm actually night uh, what's that word where you is it night owling no midnighting no what's the word uh, when you do things at night and you um, work full time and you, you have a day job yeah you got a day job still got a day job yeah Look, um, when do you uh, when do you put these in place when's the perfect time I suppose you're going to say as soon as you start behaving like a business really. yeah well look uh, uh, there the time is you'll know the time uh I, a few years ago i um prepared a contract for a young builder he, he was in his 20s he was running uh, he, he he was running well uh, strongly with business renos um uh, home renovation small commercial premises he had no contract had no set of what and he was terms. building and he was building <gasps> he just had he just had uh, uh, paperwork he had uh, the specs the technical specs the amount that uh, the amounts that he was going to charge and he'd been going along okay but he reached a point in his business he knew he knew that he couldn't go on like this and he'd been successful there was it appears there hasn't been hadn't been a problem that had prompted him to come to me it was a referral uh, uh, um, he just knew. But there are things that keep us protected because in conducting business ourselves, we are consuming products and yeah. we are there are business-to-business -business, um, laws that can't be overwritten with crappy contracts, which is what we were alluded to at the beginning yeah, of the that's program. That's right. That's right. So um, in some way, because we've got a strong judicial system. That's right. Well, um, uh, yeah, you, you, we have uh, uh, what are technically called statutory warranty or statutory guarantees out there now in the consumer small business um, uh, vein. And uh, there was an interesting uh, situation recently where um, the two of the big car makers, Holden or suppliers, Holden and Ford, were 
were arguing that their um, business warranties prevailed in the in the event of a dispute with a customer about product quality, and the uh, the regulator, the national regulator, the ACCC, Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, said no, 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 you can't say that to. Uh, your customers, you've got to remind them that statutory warranties override um, uh, your supplier warranties, and uh, and and they were a bit cross about that. So yeah, because they had a monopoly on all the servicing. That's well, why. Well, that's that's a good point. Yeah. So <laughs> so um, your point, Alexia, is absolutely right that there is a framework out there, uh, and. Uh, a lot of laws, uh, perhaps more than we need, but they are in, well-intentioned and they are there to protect uh, small business and consumers in, in the day-to-day. So on the one hand, we might complain about all the red tape and compliance and regulation that we have to withhold, but at the same time, some of those things are there protectors. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of them. <laughs> now, a quick question in regards... Oops. In regards to just contracts in general, um, if I send out uh, my engagement letter, which might be five or six pages, and my client, because we're getting digital signatures, sends back one page with the signature on it, but not the entire that's document. Fine. It's that's fine. fine. It's fine. Oh my God, that's so exciting. Because I keep on, <laughs> my poor clients, I keep on going back to them, oh no, can you send me back the whole document with one of the pages signed? So that's not necessary. Not necessary. Awesome. So it's just the signature we need. Yay. That's great. I've just saved us all a whole bunch of time. <laughs> Um, and the other the other element, of course, which is really important to have contracts and absolutely crucial, I think, is is of course your employees. Yes. And uh, and that one is just, I mean, that you're nuts, really, not to have not to have a contract without. It's not a must, though, is it? You don't. Well, well, it's good practice. Mm. Um, you don't. The the regulator, uh, in this case, the Fair Work Ombudsman, might uh, might might have cause to to have a look at uh, if if an employee felt unfairly dismissed for example and you want a nice little uh, uh, agreement in place and these are pretty simple the award employees I'm talking about mm. you need to know what awards they're under what their uh, their rights are there are all the, uh, these principles on the fair work ombudsman's website that can tell you you don't need me to read a website uh, it's good good practice and I was quite alarmed uh, recently when I helped uh, uh, again a, a new client who said well we've just bought a business and we found that none of the employees award employees have uh, have contracts yeah. have business have agreements have, and they would have been working for them for years they were working under a handshake and um oh, it's uh, now there was no uh, there was a clear lack of due diligence in the uh, purchase of business scenario there but we were able to assist uh, the client uh, uh, strap her up after the event but uh, it's not much trouble just to have your employees written down and and just a couple of pages and and it it's a it's a housekeeping thing that uh, should be attended. Mm, and again, if you've got those digitally signed, you can, of course, scan them in and yep. keep them as uh, soft copies. That's you don't have right. to keep the hard copies. Exactly right. Now, that brings me up to the last um, really important point I wanted to discuss with you, which is which is purchasing and uh, and the movement, uh, the transacting as a business as a whole, so buying a business, selling mm, a business. Mm. Now, you just gave a great example of someone who didn't do due diligence when mm. they were purchasing mm, a business. Mm, mm. Um, would you say this is one of the most important times to make sure that you've got a lawyer looking over the books, looking over the legal standing, looking over the, the contract to actually purchase, making sure your contract looks good. Is that, uh, to, to me, that's, I can't understand people who do buy businesses on a handshake. That's just crazy. Well, well that's right. Uh, that's right. Look, um, every, often people do that. 
Well, we know that. And you, you again, it's about risk, how you assess risk. And, and we are lawyers that can mitigate risk, uh, particularly when you don't know uh, the party selling the business or, or from whom you're buying. Uh, you, you know, it, it, um, it gives a degree of comfort that you're getting what you're paying for or you're selling what you want to sell. Mm-hmm. But I, but it's not. It is labour intensive, drawing up a contract or reviewing it, and and so forth, uh, in the context of sale of business. My advice is to do your homework, know what you're buying or know what you want to sell. Mm-hmm. Particularly the buyer, go in there and understand the business. Don't waste money on me until you know what you want, and that's the best I can do. But uh, you, it can be. It is labour intensive for the lawyer, particularly if he is or she is negotiating with the a lawyer on the other side. We can't control that. And it can be as expensive to sell a $25,000 business as a $250,000 business. I'm mm. sorry, but that's a fact of life. Mm-hmm. And what are some of those things you mentioned before doing due diligence before engaging with and therefore sort of saving yourself some, some time and money with, with your legal team? What, apart from the financials, I think we're, we're, we're pretty good at understanding that we need to look at financials yeah. and moving but from a legal point of view you mentioned the employment contracts there's yeah. one all the contracts we've been talking about so far this morning supplier contracts um uh, uh financing arrangements uh is the bank involved is 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 uh yeah I mean, where's money owed yeah, that's right um insurance do, uh, exactly Ooh. right uh premises leases um what, what are you buying? Uh, uh, what is the business structure? Is there any money owed that's not accounted for? Look, Memberships. Uh, like if they've got software mem- a software um, contract or maybe they've yeah. got some, some phone lines that, yeah. have got, that have got sort of two years of, of the phone of the contract still to go. Right. Yeah, yeah those yeah. sort of things. Yeah, that's right. That's an asset of the business, mm. arguably, that yeah, it's got to be... Uh, um, You've got to know. Look, I think accountants play a critical role in in this environment, Alexi, and, and you've got to have a good accountant on your side, or the business has to have a good accountant. And and if that that's a comfort factor, uh, hopefully on both sides, and and your accountants can set you up quite nicely uh, in terms of the commercial understanding, and, and we can work very well with them when we write down or review what what's going to happen in the contractual sense. So once you've done your due diligence and you've got your contracts written up, then you've got almost a bit of room to manoeuvre because you might find that there's some things they haven't um, been open with. Yeah. And then you can roll it back and say, well, look, we've just discovered that there's a $100,000 overhead we weren't made aware of, so we're going to reduce our our offer. Well, or or even uh, you can structure, stagger the payments or structure the... the, uh, offer that that uh, there's a retention made there, there's a, an earn in or earn out period where where you can get a handle on the business and, and um, seek out these things so, uh, and your protection if you're the buyer is you, you don't pay everything in one go mm, you pay just um, like the coffee cups that's exactly right <laughs> and and my uh, analogy before of the business sold on a handshake actually had a structured payment arrangement it, it was going to the um, purchase price for the business was going to be paid monthly in monthly instalments so those, those parties there did uh, think about it they mm. they did protect themselves that the, the the new party coming in would get to understand the business and and that performance was what was represented and so and a good that, handover exactly right mm, mm. so um look there are ways we can deal with this and we and uh, i'd urge people to write them down have your lawyer write them down
and and then you know mm. at the 12 months time when the final payment is due you can read what you agreed back in the past and said well provided x and y and z are there i can hand over the final money or i can let the business go yeah well it's it's absolutely been a fantastic program today thank you so much for sharing us all of your uh, business expertise and all of your wealth of knowledge thank you so much so you've been listening to triple h we've been talking a little bit about uh contract law and when to engage uh, when to actually have these things written up when they're it's important it's basically important all the time but it's not as complex and as difficult as you think it might be um but don't be afraid of your legal team um they are part of your team they're part of your arsenal and in some cases they're absolutely crucial for you moving forward in your business or purchasing a business so uh, make sure you check out alan's uh website alan do you want to give us a quick plug for your uh for your web web page um yes keypointlaw.com.au awesome so make sure you get in touch with a great um local firm uh and of course thank you very much for listening everyone we're back on tuesdays every week nine till ten we've got great bunch of guests coming up in the next couple of months we are chockers with expertise um to give you for your small business so make sure you listen nine till ten on every Tuesday here on Triple H 100.1 FM. I'll see you all next week.